You're listening to the Pandemic Podcast. We equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of these crises. My name is Matt Botker, and I'm joined with my good friend, Dr. Stephen Kissler. Yep, not Dr. Mark Kissler, because <laughs> that was Hello. totally blown. Epidemiologist <laughs> at the Harvard School of Public Health. How's it going, my friend? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Doing well. Here's my, for those of you who are going to watch this either live or animated, here's my contribution to check that out. Happy Valentine's <laughs> Day. <laughs> is that great? That's amazing. I didn't know that. Was do that was amazing. Yeah. There's so much I could do on this thing. So how was your Valentine's Day, buddy? It was good. Yeah. It was, it was pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, did, did you just make a meal? Relaxing. We ended up getting takeout from a restaurant here. It's like this really good Italian nice. restaurant in the South End, which was great. It's the first time we tried it. So. That's awesome. And I'm curious, do you guys have any like allergies? Like, are you, can you go full board Italian at your, at your apartment or do you have like gluten dairy sensitivities? Thankfully, yeah, there is. It's no concerns. So <laughs> what a gift. That's awesome. Yeah. Well done. Well, our Valentine's Day was pretty, pretty good. The boys loved it. It felt like Christmas. Uh, uh, Grammy and Papa mailed gifts and they were fantabulous. And uh, so they were, so if you guys can hear this, you might be able to hear this humming sound in the background because, of course, I'm in my basement. We have wood floors above. And one of the wonderful gifts was a little car. And they're they're driving it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth right now. So it's a little loud, but that's okay. That's what we're here. So it was good. It was fun. Happy President's Day for those of you guys uh, who are presidents, I guess, all over around the country. <laughs> so. I had the day off. I'm not a president, but it was nice to have the day off and relax. So that's why we're coming to you a day late on Tuesday. Just wanted to hang out with the fam one extra day and then do this this morning instead. I think that's good. Normal stuff. We love the reviews. It was So we got another great review about our professionalism and journalism. I don't have it in front of me, so that was really kind. It was funny. Whoever wrote that, it was a, like one of the best compliments, and then three out of five stars. We just thought it was funny. So whether they meant three out of the five stars or was it by an accident, no big deal, but we love the comment about the humility and uh, professional journalism. Greatly, greatly appreciate that. Uh, Patreon.com slash Pandemic Podcast. So if you want to support us, as little as $5 a month can go a long way to help us keep this going to make things more automated so we can get this out to you quicker. So we greatly appreciate that. You can do it on the website or just a one-time donation, PayPal, Venmo. That is all in the show notes for you. Okay, so let's just get rolling on a handful of things. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a lot to chat about. We're kind of in another place now. I feel like news is a little bit slow. Other topics are kind of being dom- or dominating the, the, the media market. Now, see, that's my perspective because I look at just the media. You're you're probably looking at like scientific journals. All the, I'm like, oh, that's not me. I would get glazed <laughs> over. And so my main outlet is a media. It hasn't been a lot of stuff coming forward. But there's a handful of things I think that are worthy of talking about for this week. The first thing is, it's the same thing. I just want to get an update with you. And you can roll in a couple of things you mentioned before the before we started recording. And that is just dealing with this idea again that we're seeing cases drop dramatically. And an article saying that we're in the lowest since October. We've had one of the most sudden drops we've ever had in cases. So now we're seeing kind of this response around the country where certain states are starting to really kind of release and ease mandates. Even mask mandates. So now this is creating a buzz of like, should be releasing, you know, mask mandates. Where are we? You know, we have this looming variants that are always kind of percolating in the background. We don't know what's going to happen. I just want to get your kind of two cents of where you think we're at right now. You know, are we, again, to what extent can we be preparing for a fourth wave soon? And do you think that some of these states releasing mass mandates is a good thing, or should we be a little more cautious as we enter into February and March? 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting time. I mean, like you said, there's I do feel like COVID has been less in the news, and and there is a lot of good news, you know, coming coming out with more and more people getting the vaccine and and just cases dropping so much in so many different places. So, I mean, that's all really good. I do think that there's there there's some little bit of concern in the back of my mind, definitely that that you know, as as we're thinking about opening back up and releasing mask mandates and these kinds of things that that we're we're sort of in that that sweet spot where cases are generally going down but some of the variants are really just starting to pick up and take off in certain places which which is not too different than where the UK was in early December where they had really brought cases down quite a bit and then they started to surge again now I mean of course for all the reasons we've talked about things are different here than they were in the UK at the time given that we're sort of emerging from the coronavirus season but nevertheless, I mean, I think that that we need to be prepared for for surges in different places potentially. I, I know the last couple of weeks I've been saying that I was more expecting sort of a gradual decline in cases rather than any extra surges. But I actually think that since cases have been coming down so quickly, faster than I imagined they would, we might actually see a surge just because we've reached such a low baseline so quickly that when the variants start to emerge now, rather than just extending that tail of infections, we'll actually start seeing bumps in different places as well. So yeah, I think that it's it's still worth sort of proceeding with caution over the next couple of weeks and months, because there's still a lot that we're learning about the variants. We haven't really had them for a very long time. And we know that they, they definitely can cause surges of infection, both in places that have and haven't yet seen major outbreaks so far. So I think that, you know, it just really reinforces the importance of doing the surveillance to know where they are, how quickly they're spreading. And I think the main thing is that it's it's not necessarily bad that we're beginning to release some of these restrictions, but I just think that, again, we need to be mentally prepared to turn them back on if need be, because these things can really, again, it's back to that discussion of exponential growth, and they can yeah. really spiral out of control quickly if we're not staying really closely on top of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a hard position for, for me as well, just in general, because when I'm going to work and there's no really overt pressure or anything, but besides just the normal kind of social pressure, because I think everybody's just chill about it now. So, because, you know, and so I'm trying to play the more cautious, not, not, not this kind of sense of trying to be hypersensitive, but just trying to wear a mask. But like, I feel like sometimes I'm the only one, you know, doing it at times. And so then the pressure of like, am I overreacting, you know? And cause the variants are just looming for me. I'm like, I just, you know, I'm going to do my best. It's not that big of a deal. So I feel like it's just another one of those hard spots to be in. If you're kind of like in the, in the state where like, ah, I'm a little concerned about the variant because, cause, cause it's unknown and it could just raise his ugly head at any moment. And so I'm just trying to be extra protective, but then the pressure is, you know, you know, six months ago, most people were kind of wearing masks. You kind of fit in like a sheep pretty well. Right. And now right. I'm not quite that, you know, I don't know what I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, the wolf. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But it's just like, it's a hard spot. Well, yeah. And it's funny because I mean, some of these conversations sort of keep recurring, you know, again, I remember that after sort of the first major lockdown or shutdown, whatever it was at the beginning, you know, it was, it was pretty clear, you know, pretty much everybody who could stay home was staying home. And yeah. there was, it was pretty, you know, the, yeah. what we were expected to do was, was relatively clear. And then there was this really weird period of uncertainty where there wasn't a lot of guidance and everybody was kind of yeah. responding in a different way where, you know, as we entered into the summer and like, well, what, what is safe? And trying to look around and we had all sort of developed our personal habits as we were sort of cloistered in our homes. And then there's suddenly this social negotiation now too, as, as things start to shift. And, and I think we're sort of entering into that again now as, people are getting vaccinated. And so there's sort of these different 
groups of people now in some sense where, you know, some have been vaccinated, some have not, that sort of changes what people can and can't do and cases are down. And so people are responding to that fact in different ways. It's this really tricky social negotiation where again, you know, the habits that we'd built up in sort of this set point that we had reached over the last couple of months is now really shifting in an abrupt way again. It's hard to navigate. And I think like the social pressures are some of the most difficult to, to figure out what to do as we're just like trying to figure out what it means to behave safely and responsibly. And yeah. I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on that because you were talking. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I think I'm also feeling this. Another dimension is that I've built a new habits in the past year and it's going to be really weird to say this, but I don't want to let them go. Like, like, yeah. like some of the, like I've already, I've spent all this year developing these new habits and I'm like, I don't think I'm ready to go back to normal in certain ways. And in certain ways, clearly seeing people, having you fly to Denver, go to a pub, hang out. That sounds all great. But other things I'm like, I'm kind of an introvert and part of this has been kind of a nice little advantage, right? <laughs> so I'm like, so there's, there's, there's a lot of mixed emotions going on within my own heart and soul. So I got to figure yeah. myself. Well, yeah. And I think that's really natural. You know, it's like, I think that there's, there's also this, this emotional side of things I think is, is really interesting because it does intersect with mental health and physical safety and all of these things, because it's, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about like, there's, I, I've sort of seen and, and personally experienced like the whole spectrum of emotion from like, almost like there there can be like an element of jealousy when people are like sort of just yeah. living their lives sort of very yes. normally and seeming like it's like everything's going fine and i i feel like you know i'm either can't or i'm not willing to but then in the reverse there's sort of this perceived sense of like well am i being am i being judged for my actions am i being sort of like like are, are people sort of praising me for my actions in ways that I don't really feel like I deserve is like, so, and I, so I think that like, as we're beginning to navigate this, I think one of the most important things is to recognize that this is just like a really complex thing for all of us. And that something that might seem so crystal clear for the way that I think I ought to behave, somebody else's crystal clearness looks entirely different than my own. Yeah. And to sort of both be graceful with ourselves and with other people as we're trying to navigate this really complex process and, you know, to not read necessarily too much into what other people are doing and like a assigning them these, these, these labels of like, oh, they're being reckless or, oh, they're being overcautious or, oh, whatever. You know, it's just like, this is just like a really complex space right now. And uh -huh. I think we all need a little bit of grace. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, yeah, that's, that's my biggest hope is we're moving forward. And that serves the public health aim as well. Like, you know, if we're all comfortable in what we're doing and and feel able to communicate with other people and enter into dialogue about this is why I'm behaving how I'm behaving, that serves our ability to control the pandemic much better than it does if we all sort of feel timid about what we're doing and trying to hide our behavior. It's So I think that, that that can be really important and something that I'm really trying to keep in mind. That's great. That's a great, I, I love that. I mean, just, yeah, the whole purpose is, you know, I, I was I was kind of re being reminded of, uh, you know, me reading the scripture passage about, you know, causing meat and the stubble. If you guys ever read it, no big deal. But this whole issue with Corinth about this meat issue and people were eating this quote, unclean meat. And Paul just like, oh gosh, whatever people, we understand that like meat is just meat. We get it. We can eat it whenever we want to. But you know, some people think it's unclean. Some people think it's not really good. So instead of judging them, instead of like just 
go with it, uh, like uh, uphold their conscience. Don't try to judge them. I think that applies today. I'm like, we may have an idea that like, you know, we'll talk about this in the, in the second, how back in March and in April, we were seeking to like, don't touch any of the, 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 the surfaces and keep your mail out for like three days. We just didn't know. And then over time we realized, Oh, you know what? It's really not a place by which we can, we get it, you know, get, get COVID. I mean, it's possible, but it's really not probable at all. So, but at the same time, there's a lot of people who still, even our own household, you know, just out of still clean off groceries. And even though it's not really needed for the sake of the conscience, we just support it. Right. Cause everybody has their yeah. own timeline by which they enter into the world. And the thing that we can do, and I'm, and by the way, I might be speaking, sounds like I'm speaking to our listeners. I'm pretty much speaking to myself right now. So, yeah. that I, so it's just kind You're of like, right. like I, I need to be able to walk in a company of the people in a powerful way and allow them to enter back into the world in their own timeline. Right. It's going to happen. It's not like that fear that somebody's gonna be stuck in a perpetual grocery, you know, Clorox wiping for the next 75 years is really unlikely. Right. Uh, They're going to enter into the real world. Just allow them that freedom. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, other things we got to talk about that's important or at least important to me because I found on the news. (laughs) So why not let's talk about it. I saw this article, Stephen, Australia is still doing lockdowns the right way. So we got Bruce, our good friend. I haven't heard from a while. I sent him an email. Love to hear back what's going on in Australia. Australia seems to be kind of like this, like this beacon of light oftentimes for how they're doing things. I'm not sure whether that's a right judgment or a bad or, or the wrong judgment, but I, they keep coming back into this the circle of conversation. So I just want to know what's been talked about in your neck of the woods right now when it comes to looking at Australia lockdowns, how they've dealt with it and whether good or bad and how that might be a lesson for us and epidemiology and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the, I'm glad you brought this up because I think this ties into some of the stuff we were talking about before. You know, again, way back when there were sort of these different <laughs> yeah. notions of flatten the curve and crush yeah. the curve. And, and we, we were trying to figure yeah. out like what, you know, what, what should we be doing here? <laughs> yeah. And it's a way in some ways we, minutes. Exactly. Minutes, right. Yeah. 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 And I I think in some ways, you know, the United States and you know, many other countries and Australia sort of took different tacks on that in, in the way that Australia really went after the crash the curve thing, you know, they and they went after it <laughs> um, and, and have succeeded in that largely. You know, of course, you know, I think, again, it's like there are so many things that make the United States different than Australia. But nevertheless, I mean, Australia is a very big country, has major cities, has substantial international connectivity. And so there are, you know, I I think that there are lessons to be learned there. I I think one of the most thought-provoking messages that I've seen, there's, I have a colleague who's in Australia and was just talking about the fact that like, you know, he had, you know, it was, it was a weekend and he had just been to two parties out to dinner and he was about to go to like, you know, some, some other social gathering. And and that's like, you know, there's hardly any COVID cases yeah. there. And so what the, the point that he made was that like, you know, I, I hear so many people talking about how strict pandemic control is antithetical to freedom. And he's like, I, I just can't, I just don't understand what, what this means. Cause like, look at me, I'm like living a very free life that's yeah. been enabled by the fact that, you know, there were these relatively strict pandemic controls early on, but now they're sort of reaping the benefits of that. And so, I mean, everybody sort of has to choose their own path to some extent, but, but it seems like we've sort of like chosen two different approaches to controlling the pandemic. 
And, and that's just sort of the place that we're at. Now, of course, one of the other big benefits of having cases really low is that when you don't have much virus circulating, it, there's less possibility of variants evolving and emerging as well. Sure. So that's one of the great benefits. Going back to the conversation we were having before about whether we should let up or whether we should really continue with our control measures is that if we sort of keep allowing COVID to sort of bubble along at this level, then that, that increases the chances of variants emerging and spreading. And so there is, there's also a public health benefit in that sense of really reducing cases as low as we can. So I think that it's, you know, yeah, there there are so many different ways to control the epidemic. And and again, I really want to reinforce that like there's the countries are just different too. There there are different aspects in play. And, and some of the things that might have been a possible in Australia may may not have been possible here. Sure. But nevertheless, I think that there's there's a useful there are useful things to learn there. And it seems like, you know, again, that that very strict control early on really did allow them to enjoy certain types of freedoms that were still sort of can't yet here. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm curious, I want to go go deeper into Australia at some point in time, because uh, you know, maybe Bruce can chime in at some point in time and help us understand how things are going on. But, you know, you hear things like really strict lockdowns for like four months during a, during a peak time of, of in Australia. And, and, and I don't know which city, where it was at. And so, you know, my first, because of the polemics that go on here in the U.S., one of the first things that comes to mind is like, well, then how are the restaurants and, uh, you know, being funded, you know, how are they being compensated, you know, like all these kind of things to help people. And so they may have a different paradigm by which they just, I have no idea, but like, I'm curious right. to know when they do over and over these lockdowns, how are they being cared for? It sounds like they are because when I, at least, I mean, my one dude, I know Bruce, right. <laughs> it's a very small right. sampling that sounds like that overall people are okay with it, which means th there must be some, some compensation to help them get through. So I'm curious to, to, right. to know how this works. Another obsession of mine, Stephen, we've talked about this now. Now we didn't talk about it last week. I brought it up. We weren't ready to talk about it. I'm being more obsessed with this. This article comes from a couple of days ago, the Washington Post, why you can get a cold even while masking and taking other COVID-19 precautions. So Stephen, you have some things you want to contribute to this conversation. I have some things I want to contribute. The reason why I'm fascinated with this is because, okay, I'm just getting obsessed with surfaces and viruses. Not, not in that, not like wearing, I don't care about it. I totally get it. I don't, I don't, if it was up to me, I wouldn't wash my stuff. I wouldn't wear gloves. I get the, the balance, but just, I'm fascinated by how some viruses were concerned about with actually being on surfaces. COVID were not. And so in my mind, my small little feeble mind, I'm trying to figure out how to wrap my head between different kinds of uh, viruses and how they are, can be, be hard for us on surfaces and be contagious and otherwise not. So back in the day, I worked at Starbucks, good old coffee, loved it, loved my time there, had some great friends that I still think about all the time. And one of the things they talked about, a good cup of coffee, they made it simple for us, just three dimensions. It's like, yeah, of course, it's the coffee bean, right? You got a good, solid coffee bean. But it's not just that, it's the grind, the quality of the grind, that's the second variable. And the third one was, of course, with water, right? You got a good filtered water. If you don't have filtered water, it tastes like chlorine, you're going to get it in the coffee. It's not going to taste like a real good cup of coffee. And that's that's carried with me up in this day. So now I'm taking this and I'm like, okay, hey, what are like the three dimensions, Stephen, of like, of like, of a virus on surfaces where we can say, okay, this is why, right? COVID, we're not that concerned about. Whereas like we're hearing about the rhinovirus, the rhinovirus is still kind of, it's raising its ugly head. It's, it's, it's surpassing mask mandates. And they're probably contributed because of probably surfaces. We're getting from surfaces and that's where it's at. So I'm fascinated by this. Of how do I understand the, the mystery of how these work? And like, you know, I've heard like a C. diff, or, you know, very aggressive. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it can stay on surfaces for like flipping ever. And, you know, and how many particles do you need to get contagious? It's so I'm just, 
I want information about this. So I would love for you just to vomit whatever knowledge you have to help me understand this complexity of the situation and how these things spread. Yeah. So, I mean, probably the clearest analog with with viruses, as you've said, with your sort of three axes that we're talking about are, are, are things that we have talked about. It's like surfaces, droplets, and aerosols, right? Mm. Like that's sort of the way that we think about like the different ways in which viruses can spread and different viruses have different, each of those has sort of a different importance. And so yeah. I think that as as we've been learning more about COVID, it's, it's really interesting because you know, SARS-CoV-2, we've sort of really shifted all the way from one axis to the other, where we <laughs> yeah. really thought that like, you know, maybe maybe surfaces are really important. And that was partly informed by what we know about flu, where surfaces can be very important. They were like, well, surfaces probably not so much, but mainly droplets. And now it's like droplets. Well, actually, really aerosols are kind of the things that we, you know, the things <laughs> yeah. that we really need to worry about. And it's just as we've been learning more and more about the virus, we've been sort of clarifying that. But you know, you're right. Each virus has uh, sort of a different type of behavior that has to do with just how stable the virus is and what it needs to sort of thrive. And you can think of all sorts of different viruses, you know, that, I mean, there's there's all sorts of, like, you can imagine like the Ebola virus, for example, which which is generally, you know, the main mode of transmission is through direct contact with bodily fluids, right? So that's an entirely different, like that requires a really yeah. special kind of contact, <laughs> yeah. you know, and other, you know, mosquito transmitted viruses, for example, they're, they're you know, they need to get yeah. bit by a bug. And yeah. the, and the virus can't really persist like outside of the body, you know these kinds of things are so yeah so it's like it's very it's very complex so so but that has to do with viruses and of course viruses aren't the only things that cause colds either you know we have bacteria as well and bacteria sort of obey entirely different types of life as well and different ways of sort of maintaining their stability inside and outside of the body and so so getting back to your original question right so we were we were asking about like what is it we're wearing masks and we can still get sick you know what's you know, what gives? Like, what is yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're yeah, why, like why is this? And the, so part of it is, you know, of course, yes. So so things can persist on surfaces. Flu can persist on surfaces. And so we, we can pick it up, you know, you touch a contaminated doorknob and then you adjust your mask or something. And all of a sudden you've given yourself a pretty decent inoculum and, and you can get sick. But one of the other things is that a lot of bacteria, for example, are what we call commensal bacteria. They're things that generally just sort of live happily on our skin or in our respiratory tract or in our digestive system. But then certain things can happen that basically make them angry and <laughs> cause what we call invasive disease. So so streptococcus pneumonia is, is sort of like this. It, it lives in our noses, in our ears, and generally doesn't really cause much of an issue. But strep pneumo is, I think, the leading cause of ear infections in young kids. And so sometimes it just kind of makes that move and becomes an invasive form of strep pneumo. And, and then you get a cold, you get an ear infection, you get a fever, you know, whatever. And it doesn't even necessarily have to come from an external infection, although oftentimes it does, but sometimes it can just sort of be something that happens within your body too. You know, our bodies are so incredibly complex in that, like we have what we now, there's a lot of research now in the microbiome, which is essentially all the little bugs and critters that live on us and in us that also help constitute who we are. You know, like that's the whole idea behind probiotics, for example, too, that like, you know, there's this whole microbiome that's living in your gut that's like doing things for you. It's like helping you like break down certain types of food. And and some of it is really beneficial, but then some of it can cause disease. And a lot of it just doesn't really do anything at all. And it just kind of hangs out. But all of that is sort of in play here. And so sort of this, this traditional paradigm that we have where there's this invader that invades and causes disease, and then our body fights a battle and gets rid of it, 
there's a lot of sort of complexity to that too. And and while that, that serves well enough for sort of a high level picture of how infectious diseases work, there's a lot else going on under the surface that can cause illness or health that is worth us paying attention to. So. That's great. I, this is, I think this is important. Maybe it's only for a fringe audience for this, but for those of us who've been at some point in time in like a pretty intense lockdown for maybe two or three months, and then you get sick, I've had it where a couple of friends, like, how on earth does this happen? Like, and so what happens is I see this fear of like, did a mysterious like virus penetrate our walls? And, and if that, if that's it, what's next? You know, these like these militant viruses, like knowing that I'm at home and knocking on my door and that, no, that it's, it's, it really, and then we've, we talked to a doctor who said something similar, like it's complicated because there are things that just stay on you. And then the, one day they want to raise their ugly head out of nowhere and the whole family could get sick. And you may have not have spoken to a single soul in person or left your even house for a month and you can still get sick. It's not yeah. because of a random package necessarily. It could just be, hey, something became active. And that's as simple as that. It happens. That's life. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I had a question though. Another one. Do you know, like when it comes to uh, COVID, when it comes to COVID, we, we know that uh, it's a certain amount of virus that's needed before we're actually infected. Is that, is that typical for, I'm guessing for all viruses and that fluctuates, like some, you may only need quote a particle, I'm whatever, like one yes. small little thing and man, you're just gone. Others, you need a lot. So is it true that some things it could be a very small and it just gets you going and others you need a lot? Yeah, absolutely. It's so the, it's interesting. I was actually just looking at this the other day. I was trying to figure out sort of what the infectious dose was for, uh-huh. for SARS-CoV-2. Okay. And it looks like based off of some really interesting contact tracing and genetic sequencing data that people have been working on, it looks like on average, the infectious dose for uh, SARS-CoV-2 is on the order of a thousand viral particles. Okay. It can be infectious probably at lower doses as well. They They documented some infections that might've happened as low as a hundred or so, 50 to a hundred particles. But it seemed like on average, people generally got a dose of about a thousand particles from the person who they got it from. The uh, sort of on the other end of the, 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 the super, super, super infectious spectrum, yeah. the, one of the viruses, for example, that I usually think about, about like that's able to infect you just like on a dime is norovirus, which yeah. usually causes gastrointestinal distress and you can get it from eating, you know, contaminated foods, but that thing can infect you with, I, I think as, as few as two or three viral particles, like you barely wow. need any of it and it will just like make you feel like, Crap. <laughs> you, you know, really bad <laughs> for a couple of days. I speak yeah. from experience. Um, <laughs> it's, so there's, this is kind of a funny anecdote actually. So I was at a, I was at a conference for infectious disease researchers last year and, and we were, so everybody was giving these talks about infectious diseases and there, there were a couple talks about neurovirus and uh-huh. there was actually that we were sort of as part of the conference, we were sort of, we could volunteer to partake in this study where we would have like small bits of our blood drawn and then they would like look for antibodies in the blood to try to understand sort of what we'd been exposed to previously in our life. And at this conference of infectious disease researchers, there was this huge outbreak of norovirus, no something way. that we ate. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it was, I think it was at the conference dinner, you know, it was like the, the uh. second to last night. And then the next day, all of us woke up with like fever night sweats like we were all just like really rough it was just like the irony of ironies and so uh yeah so that's anyway that, <laughs> hopefully that wasn't actually planned as part of the yeah, conference as a way of sort of like getting closer to our research but <laughs> so, I think not. so anyway yeah it's super infectious a lot of us came down with it so it was really actually it was funny to see like this like epidemiological community we were all like 
staggering around out of our rooms, but like we were trying to figure out like what happened, where did it come from? Like, you know, how many of us are getting infected? What's the reproduction number? It's just ridiculous. So, yeah. I feel like that painted your, that like literally is like a milestone of your life that prepared you for COVID because like you're like, now you're like, nope, this is not going to happen with you COVID. I'm never going to leave my apartment. I'm just going to go out for brief walks, get takeout, and I'll see my university in about a year or so again. I feel like it's like totally painted exactly how you're handling. I will not have this happened twice. Oh man. That's great. So, so I'm just curious. So with, uh, the other one you just said, uh, norovirus, does it also subsist, uh, on surfaces longer than like COVID? So it's like a double way, yeah. like small particles. Right. So that's like a, a very intense one. Okay. Good to yep. know. Random. Just wanted to say again, I love the flu stats. I'm just, I'm just mesmerized by this. I'm not going to talk about it. I saw them, but the uh, NPR post, I think it was NPR on a tweet that, that mentioned like since October, there's been 165 hospitalizations. I think that was it. I'm not looking at it right now. And then normally we'd have 400,000. So 165 currently to date, normally 400,000 hospitalizations. That's intense. That's crazy. So yeah. all, all that being saying, good job for those of us, to everyone trying to, to work with COVID and do the best to protect everyone. Because even though it may look complicated and a lot of people may not be wearing masks that we're talking about, nonetheless, it's still having a big impact. And we see that reflected in the the flu. Okay, next article I want to chat with you about. This article called COVID Absolutism from the New York Times. And we just address this idea of people, or I think I don't know if it was San Francisco, or I don't have it in front of me right now. I think it was there someplace in California City, really imposing some pretty strong mandates. Wearing masks, of course, but wearing masks out running outside, even by yourself, all these things, it's just constant mandates. And just, it was basically uh, suggesting in a very intense way that like, this is number one, unnecessary and and will most likely backfire. And I wanted to get your feedback on this. I'm just thinking of me in productivity and test management. I was talking about this. It's like due dates. For those of you who use test management and you know, the only thing you have is the due date in there, what you often will do is you'll put a due date for things that are actually due and then things like, oh, you know what? I'd like to exercise tomorrow. So do tomorrow, right? Exercise. And then you end up being tomorrow. It's not really a due date. So then you postpone it. But then when you lump and you put due dates on everything, the real due dates get lost in the, me- in, in the mess. Now due dates are now suggestions. And then you become overdue on things that are important. I feel like that's kind of similar, like what's going on with, the, with my mindset of this. Like when you impose this all over, then mask in general lose its intensity. And then when you, like we've learned over a period of time, that willpower is finite. We wake up, you do refreshed. And by the end of the day, we're exhausted. That's why it's best to work out in the morning when you have a good, strong willpower. And it's why you go for the donut at 6 p.m. instead of the actual exercise, speaking from a human experience, <laughs> because you're exhausted and you're stressed and you don't exercise. And so you end up just you know falling from this. And so that we're doing this, we impose this all over the place when it's not necessary, like outside. I'm pretty relaxed personally when it comes outside. I really don't do much. I mean, I don't, I don't get in people's faces either. I stay across the other side of the sidewalk, but I don't wear masks, but boys don't wear masks. I feel like it's okay, but I do wear them in the important places inside, especially in closed quarters. But if you're always wearing all the time, you get fatigued, you get exhausted. And then you're like, then the one time you should have worn it, you're just too tired. You wear it and you get infected. I just want to get your thoughts. Is that, is that a similar train of thought that you've been having and discussing there? Yeah, absolutely. And it's always, it's, it's always a difficult balance to strike, but one that we're always aiming for as epidemiologists and people who are involved in public health, you know, it's, you're you're right. Like it's based on everything we know, like being outdoors and being relatively distanced from people is like pretty safe. And, you know, generally like not wearing a mask when you're out for a run, as long as you're not like, you know, 
ghosting somebody and like running right up behind them for like 20 minutes, you know, you know like as long as you're not kind of being a weirdo yeah. anyway, like, it's, yeah, like, totally. it's probably going to be okay. And so, yeah. And, and so it's really tricky because there's, there's this fine, fine balance though, because there's, uh, you know, as, as an epidemiologist, a lot of the feedback that I hear comes from two different perspectives. One of them is, you know, we'll, we'll try to communicate something and it's like, well, that's, that's just too complicated. Just tell me what I need to do and make it simple. Like, why do you have to make it so complicated? Just give me some simple rules and I'll follow them and then that'll be fine. But then, you know, with something, okay, so I'll give you a simple rule. It's, it masks everywhere, masks outside, masks when you're running, just wear a mask all the time. And then it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, I, you know, I need to, <laughs> yeah. like, that, that's yeah. just too much, I, you know, and, and clearly and, and rightfully so, you know, it's not you don't need that we don't need that and and people can you know uh, rightly like <laughs> people are not people can are not dumb you know right we, they yeah. can see like what's effective and what's not and can see if like something that they're being asked to do doesn't actually map up match up with something that would be effective at controlling disease and so I think, I mean, the, the best thing we can do is just keep communicating sort of the, the, the nuances and complexity of the situation and, and trust people to make good decisions for themselves. And, and I think that that's the best we can do. So you're right. I think that the sort of blanket rules that can be made that, that don't necessarily, that aren't necessarily grounded in, you know, really good infection control strategies can absolutely backfire, both because, you know, people rightfully recognize that what they're being asked to do is not useful and and it sort of erodes trust too because they're like well why why do you ask me to do that if it's not actually founded in 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 science and in our understanding of how disease spreads now of course there are certain circumstances where the other the other variable that we have to pay attention to here is limited knowledge and so that was one of the things that was really prevalent of course early in the pandemic and why sort of widespread lockdowns uniform masking all of that made a lot of sense then because we didn't really know what we were dealing with and all we knew was that COVID could decimate a city in a matter of weeks. And we didn't know where it was, when it was yeah. going to happen. And, you know, and so in that sense, we didn't know what the right interventions were, but we also knew that this was potentially catastrophic and we needed to do everything we could to stop it. Now our understanding is a lot more nuanced. And so, so I think that we can be a lot more targeted in our interventions. And I think we need to be to maintain trust and to make sure that people are, as you said, actually using masks when they're inside in crowds around lots of people in the places where they're going to be most effective. That's great. I mean, yeah, you're showing the complexity of the situation. It's kind of like math, you know, it's a, you're a kindergartner and you learn basic one-on-one, you know, we're working with our oldest with math. He's doing a great job with addition and subtraction. And he may think they may solve the world's problems, but actually you need more than math and eventually you need stats and then DiffEQ and matrix theory and all these different things that help with complexity. And you realize that, that, that you start with the simple things and it's kind of like, that's just how the human mind works. It, it, we bite down on something that that's actually digestible right away, gets us going and it might be overly simplistic. And when, we, when we've mastered it, we want what's next, what's the nuance. It's, it's the, it's, it's the, you know, the basic art class in kindergarten to the artist, you know, and who, right. who has the, the ability to shift and be nuanced. But, you know, so all those complexities are, are needed for this whole process. Great. We only have a few more minutes before we got to end so we can move on to other things in our own life. But one thing, variants. I want to talk to you about that. What's your updates on variants? You're discussing it right now. You've been real busy this week talking about variants. What's the scoop? What do we see? I hear the U.S. has some more variants. Anything concerning on your horizon and what's the update? Yeah, so we've been thinking a lot about the variants for sure. And again, there's, you know, more information is coming out little by little, suggesting that many of the vaccines are still effective against preventing severe disease caused by potentially the variants, even if the variants are able to escape some level of vaccine effectiveness for mild and moderate disease. 
So that's still by and large good news. As you said, there's there's this recent study by Emma Hodcroft and her colleagues, and in, in many ways, she's the guru of, of SARS-CoV-2 genetic <laughs> epidemiology. So <laughs> it is still a preprint, but it's a preprint that I'm certainly going to pay close attention to. And I would encourage others to as well, if, if you're you know, interested in these sorts of things. And, and they've basically identified another key mutation that they've picked up that seems to be associated with increased receptor binding. So again, that's similar to the B117 variant that we saw in the yeah. UK. That might allow the, the the virus to be a little bit more infectious, though through a slightly different um, mutation that's involved. So I think that that's something you know again that that we're paying close attention to. We're going to keep seeing these things pop up. There will be a number of false alarms. There will be things that that will be concerning for a while, and then we'll just sort of peter out. And that can either be because they aren't actually more infectious or because they are, but the randomness of the way that this disease spreads just caused them to die out anyway. Like sure. both of those things are possible. And so I think we, we sort of need to buckle up and, and recognize that like some of these are going to be important. Some of them aren't. We're going to be hearing a lot about these in the coming weeks. And to sort of just try to maintain that middle ground of sort of sobriety without panic of, you know, Sorry. understanding that there's, that these things are worth paying attention to and are things that we're going to have to contend with in the coming months. But again, we also know largely how to prevent this viruses spread. And it might require, you know, special effort at different times in different places. And I think we need to be prepared for that for sure. But I think we're past the stage where we really need to panic about these things. We, we kind of know what, what's expected of us. And the most important thing is to just kind of pay attention to what's emerging and how cases are going in your given community. And yeah, just just to do our best to yeah maintain maintain what we've been doing all along. Right. Random question. I don't, we may have addressed it before, but I have had a couple people ask me with the variants so far to this point, does that mean people can get reinfected right away or are they not so strong enough to where the first natural immunity seems to cover these variants as well? That's a great question. I, I don't think we know that yet. My okay. my impulse would be that probably very soon after infection, sort of the, the huge B cell response that you get after an initial infection will probably protect you more broadly from coronaviruses for a little while, including the variants. But but that that obviously wears off such yeah. that you can get reinfected with with similar coronavirus variants. And and now we have these other variants that might be more effective at immune escape. So I imagine it's probably not immediate. You probably at least have a couple weeks window in which you're pretty well protected. But yeah, so I imagine there's some amount of time there that needs to pass. Great. That reminds me, we may not be able to get into this today, but I wouldn't just ask you quickly. I saw an article about this, about how, I think it was from The Atlantic, about how uh, our immune response seems to be, can be even better than the initial infection. And so it was talking about the idea that how it can actually, so here's my equivalent. I'm going to put it in my layman's terms. Does the immune, does the immune response have like a fuzzy search option? You know, it's kind of like where you do like a, you know, like in, in like in certain things like Google, you put in a, you know, you might be a grammatical variant basically. Right. But it's enough to figure out, oh yeah, you mistyped that. And here's the actual result. The same solution. Does the immune response have like fuzzy search where like, here's, here's COVID, but here's a rough model. So that could handle some sense of variance on its own. Yeah, ex yeah, absolutely. And so that's, you know, it, because the, what the immune system is targeted to is really just like it's it's the shape of the virus and it's the shape right. of certain parts of the virus. And as long as that's close enough, 
then even with some mutations, then the immune system can still recognize something that's not right and mount a similar immune response that will still be mostly effective against that. So it's, I think that's a really good analog. It's, it's doing essentially the same thing. It's <laughs> yeah. looking for sort of the different grammatical structure, but trying to figure out what exactly you meant. That's awesome. Can you write some kind of scientific article about that and call it fuzzy search? I really, really, really appreciate Absolutely. that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It'll be out next week. We'll let you know. Steve, yeah. will you send me the, the note of the article for the prepub you were just talking about? Yep. yep. Any, any information about that? girl, I think that lady uh, that we can redirect, yeah. direct them to, uh, to check. Yeah, to check absolutely. Her out. Everybody follow her on Twitter and yeah. Oh, Stop totally listening to me, me and start listening to her. Yeah, I, whatever. <laughs> I was totally random, but I was using my Twitter a little bit more because I was like, ah, I kind of like it. It's fun. And so I looked you up and I, I followed you, which is funny. I haven't been following you. And and I, I, I hit the list option, but there was no list that you were that you had. I'm like, oh, I don't do you have lists that are public that I can that I can of of or no on Twitter. Interesting. I didn't even know that that was possible, but okay, I'll take never a look. Mind. Well, we're, I'm going to work with this with Steven. He's going to compile a list of people he, fo- he follows on Twitter, and then we'll make it public. Yeah. You can follow their list. We'll work on that together. Okay. That's about it. Uh, a couple other things just to say this. It tw- uh, looks like maybe Dr. Fauci said in September uh, that there might be kids might be able to get the vaccine. And that's the, all the big breaking news. Thank you guys so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. We'll be back next Monday with a great episode. And again, if you want to uh, reach out to Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-S-S-L-E-R on Twitter. I just now followed him after so many years. And if you want to support us, patreon.com slash pandemic podcast, those are $5 a month or one-time payment at Venmo, PayPal, all the show notes. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful and great week. We'll see you next week. Take care and bye-bye.